0: Is there solid evidence the U.S. presidential elections were stolen from Donald Trump in 2020? Was there evidence of an election being rigged in favor of Trump? How did media manufacture and embellish the January 6th, 2021 incident into a spectacular narrative about a threat to democracy? How was the Azov Battalion and Russians connected to the events of the January 6th riots on Capitol Hill? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we're looking back two years to the march of thousands on Capitol Hill and examining the way certain powerful figures turned it into something like another 9-11 event with consequences for future restrictions on human rights. In our first half hour, journalist Joaquim Hagopian joins us and shares the evidence of the vote theft in both the 2020 presidential election and the 2022 midterms. Next, we are joined by Jonathan Simon, who concludes the signs of the election point, if anything, at theft from Biden. In our second half hour, Ryan Christian of the Glass American Vagabond joins us to reveal evidence there was a lot more going on at the January 6th event than the media is allowing you to see. On this week's program, January 6th Riot Live! helping to propel the war on terrorism, and more. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of January 16, 2023. The program is funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'd like to acknowledge... The show is produced on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. Opening up the lands and water to the use of settler populations involved unlawful and unjust behavior directed toward the indigenous population and obtained based on faulty promises and treaties. Our intention, in part, is to correct the balance in sympathy with the First Nations populations. Protest at the U.S. Capitol, which proceeded exactly two years and one week before this show was first broadcast, hinged its basis on the various ways in which Donald Trump and millions of voters claimed the election was robbed. There was more to this than being sore losers. There is evidence relayed by several firms and mathematics specialists who provide their case. To get a better perspective on the factual basis for these election-rigging claims, I talked earlier to a journalist who had written the article Brunson v. Adams, Supreme Court Betrayal of America's Constitutional Right to Free and Fair Elections. Uh, Joachim Hagopian, he's a West, Poise, a West Point graduate, a former Army officer and author. After the military, Joachim Earned a master's degree in clinical psychology and worked as a licensed therapist in the mental health field. The experience in both the military and child welfare system prepared him well as a researcher and independent journalist. And as an independent journalist for over eight years, Joachim has written hundreds of articles for many news sites, like Global Research. Joachim Hogopian, welcome to the Global Research News Hour.
1: Very good to be here, Michael. Very good.
0: Now, you came to the conclusion that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from Trump in spite of all the fact-checkers rejecting the claim. Could you give me specific examples of occurrences that, that led you to believe Trump was, in fact, robbed?
1: Well, they've done many different analyses on that election, and... Many of the conclusions, uh, this is aside obviously from the mainstream liars, uh, draw the conclusion that there was interference from many different countries that had input uh, electronically, primarily through the Dominion, which we already knew were uh, machines that could flip boats. And so many of the uh, Analyses have shown that there was major influences that were, in fact, at around 4 a.m. Eastern Coast time, uh, there were sudden changes in the tallies of the votes for both sides. And many of the votes that obviously were for Trump went suddenly to this guy that can't draw more than a handful of people to any actual in present uh, rally he has. That's why he basically campaigned from his basement. I mean, he was a joke. He was a joke to begin with. Everybody knew this, the guy was senile. He can't even put together a, an intelligible sentence uh, You know, without some kind of uh, feedback from his ear and, and the rest. You know, so yeah, there's been many different analyses that have shown that uh, the electronic voting machines uh, were part of the uh, the election fraud. Then, of course, there were all the stuffed ballots that went even beyond the deadlines. uh, And, you know, the idea that there was this uh, pandemic, which has, of course, also been proven to be fake, uh, that was held in the whole year leading up to the election. That was all part of this process to basically overthrow Trump uh, and, and put in their puppet. and. And so, yeah, there's been so many improprieties. I mean, you know, there's been some very good uh, video uh, documentaries on this. There's been books written. Uh, The evidence is overwhelming for those open-minded enough to see. And in fact, they've even done polls where many Democrats even, I think probably a third of the Democrats in some of the polling uh, also say that they believe that the election results were tampered with. uh, And the vast majority of of Republican vote and independent voters believe this. So there have been so many objective kinds of analyses all leading in that same exact direction. And you know, the real sad pitiful, but you know, if you look at it that they wanna control their, their power base And I'm talking about the imposter regime of the deep Democrats, and uh, they are, are doing their best basically to sabotage every election now so that here, I mean, in America, where, you know, we for the longest time have prided ourselves as the example for the world, you know, to be a democracy. We've never really been a true democracy, but we are a constitutional republic, at least once was. And uh, and according to our constitution, yes, there's supposed to be free uh, elections, honest elections, uh, fair elections, and you know, in 2020 and 2022, we have witnessed the opposite. So it's a very corrupt system. Anybody and analyzing it with an open mind would draw the same conclusion because the all the same basic methodology used to corrupt and fraud the election in 2020 was again used in 2022 a couple months ago. So it's like nothing has changed. They're using the same, you know, illegal treasonous methodology to um, usurp the power of the Constitution and uh, steal elections and uh, make America a banana republic which is unfortunately but, what it is,
0: but been called. Well, when Paul Craig Roberts was on our show two years ago, he said the courts refused to look at the evidence at hand. There, there were presentations by professional firms, the, the, the state legislators in the Arizona, in Michigan, and Georgia. And half of the pre- professional presentations were people of color. Also, he said the court's, refused to look at the evidence and, and they threw it out. You know, people with four degrees from MIT, uh, you know, skilled in mathematics were providing it. So, so I, I'd say that based on this, Roberts claimed, yes, you know, as far as he was concerned, the, the evidence is overwhelming. And he, he claimed that, uh, he said that, uh, you know, with with people, or I guess you could say, with people of this caliber, uh, of presentation. Uh, whether they're correct or not, uh, you are stating doubts, can Congress and legislators constitutionally bow out of, of recounting or, or examining the evidence or, or postponing until it's been examined in some way?
1: Based on evidence, I believe that all three branches of the United States government The judicial branch, based on just the performance of the Supreme Court, uh, has proven this. And as far as the congressional uh, and executive branches, they're both jokes as well. Uh, So, yeah, there were uh, several cases that were brought to the U.S. Supreme Court soon after the election. One of them was... uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, on behalf of the Republic of Texas, he was making the claim that it was an unfair election, tampered with, in, in the battleground states, you know, we, we know where they are, you know, the Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, um, and and he was saying, you know, we need to take a, a second look at this. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And they said, no, you don't have any right to say what the other states are coming out with. So therefore, we are not going to take this case. And then there was another case that went all the way to the Supreme Court involving the Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, it was a, a matter of the judges in Pennsylvania, I think that uh, the lower court, uh, judges were, were basically saying that, uh, you know, we're going to say we can have the deadline on the ballots, the stuff ballot paper, ballot, um, deadline extended. And, and so they were challenging, you know, many of the, the faulty methodology used to corrupt it and and make the honest, the election dishonest. And, uh, again, the, uh, Supreme Court, the top court of the land, uh, opted not to uh, follow up and and deal with it. So that's why I wrote this recent article, even before the the Monday announcement that they weren't going to touch the case again. uh, I wrote this article saying, you know, it's a done deal. This is a wasted effort. Uh, You know, this Brunson case, you know, it's not going to go anywhere because the system has been corrupted for many, many years now. And it has never been corrected. It has not been corrected for years. You know, that was 2020. Here we are, you know, almost three years later, and absolutely all the evil ways of corrupting and and being a, a fraudulent election have not even been altered or looked at in any kind of constructive way by any of the branches of the U.S. government. So, I mean, you know, what other conclusion can you make that we live in a banana republic in the United States of America at this time?
0: Now, well, as you mentioned, I mean, there are, there are several people who are also starting that, uh, are st- stating that the midterm elections were also stolen. Um, uh, can you maybe give me a, a couple of examples of, of dirty pool in, in the midterm elections that, that was Prepared for a, a red tidal wave, according to the polls, and and then it turned out that the the Democrats won a lot better. Just, just give me a couple of examples.
1: Yeah, I, I'll give you one brief uh, discrepancy that I haven't mentioned yet. They do exit polls of voters coming out of of the voting places, and overwhelmingly. Uh, they are not going with the Democrat party that is dragging, destroying America. I mean, the vast majority of American voting citizens are not in favor of what's going on. They do not support it. It is only the leftist radicals out there, the communists basically, that, that are basically in support of the current regime, the imposter regime. So the exit polls all indicate that you know, the end result is not the same as what the voters coming out from having voted are saying. And uh, and then some more proof uh, is is what happened in Arizona. Uh, the, the Maricopa County. Oh, my God, it is such a corrupt. I mean, the controllers of, of the voting process in that county alone and that covers the Phoenix area um, in that county. There were early discrepancies, like at, at, at like 730, 8 o'clock in the morning. There, uh, they were finding out that the people that were voting for and I'll use the, the example Carrie Lake, the Republican governor nominee, they would vote for her, and, and it wouldn't show up. There was a they purposely made a machine glitch. You know, that they they you know for. Plausible deniability, they always say, Oh, it's just a machine error. No, it was not. This is the same county that two years earlier were up to dirty tricks also. So they have a record of it. Yet they got away with it again. And you know, hobbs who who's like a Biden, uh, you know, she's Swore the oath of office as the governor now. I mean, it's the same crap over and over again. There has been nothing to correct all these deficient errors, so-called, that are are fraudulent elections in America. It hasn't changed.
0: Yeah, there was talk. And and it was all
1: over the country that we were expecting, you know, the voters to vote heavily on, particularly the conservative Republicans, the ones that were actually supported by Trump. Um, you know, and then to everybody's surprise, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, when you, when you know that the, the, uh, machinations of, of corruption were never corrected or rectified, uh, to expect anything different, you, you become like, uh, you're a part, you, you don't have full intellectual ability, you, you know, there's that expression, you know, uh. If the same result repeats over and over again and, and you still are hoping and wishing on a different outcome, then it's on you because you you haven't really looked at the systemic problem, which is the corruption that has basically invaded the whole entire system that we call Western civilization. It goes deep and wide and and to the macro level on this earth.
0: To balance out this discussion, I turn to Jonathan Simon for his opinion, a graduate of Harvard College and New York University School of Law, is a member of the Bar of Massachusetts. He's been involved in examining election data since 2004. Jonathan Simon is the former executive director of the Election Defense Alliance and author of Code Red, Computerized Elections and the War on American Democracy. He co-wrote a paper published last October indicating that signs show a political redshift pattern similar to prior U.S. elections in presidential and Senate races. Okay, so uh, Jonathan Simon, um, you mentioned in your paper what you called an inexplicable redshift in the 2020 election. Um, as in past elections. Walk us through some of what your study revealed.
2: Okay, specifically in, in 2020, uh, we looked at House races, we looked at the presidential race, we looked at Senator uh we we try to be as as objective as as possible about this. Um, We're not, we did not claim that there was proof um, in these numbers, Uh, but it was a suggestion that, if anything, uh, the trend had gone in the opposite direction, and I could be more specific about the individual, you know, things that we looked at.
0: Mm. Well, just going back, I mean, you mentioned that, uh, the, the fact that there was no evidence you know, statistical evidence and whatnot. But I know someone, or I spoke to uh, somebody who spoke to us, uh, explained the the overwhelming evidence uh, based on presentations in, in in Michigan, in Arizona, and and Georgia to the, their legislation legislatures, uh, and uh, by firms with yeah. expertise in in pattern analysis and, and voting analysis, uh, including people with multiple degrees in it, with with MIT. Uh, highly skilled mathematicians providing presentations uh, that those were signs that uh, the election was rigged. Are you are you saying that th- th- there was really nothing to these uh, e- elections or, or or to these presentations, or are you aware of them at all? Yeah,
2: I'm I'm very much aware of them. Um, we <laughs> what what we saw the stuff by, uh, for, for instance, Doctor Shiva. And um, Garland Favorito, I mean, those the people that were supposed experts in this, uh, it, was, it would take a long time to detail and explain, uh, but their analyses were very, very quickly debunked uh, by other experts. And of course, once you get into expert versus expert, it's very, very difficult. Indications um, that if votes had disappeared or votes had been shifted at all, um, that it was in the in the other direction. The kind of stuff that, uh, for instance, Dr. Shiva came up with. Um, it was I don't I don't know quite how to explain it, but it, it was it was let's call it statistical mumbo jumbo. There were there were um, trend lines that supposedly should not cross or could or shouldn't converge, uh, but when the Exactly what you expect. people were afraid
0: Americans can do before the next election in 2024 to, to put all claim you know, all this talk of, of, of uncertain elections to rest. Because I mean, you, you admit it's it's definitely a problem. Uh, but I mean, I guess nothing you can put a you know get a grip on or something like that. So how how can you what can you do to to, to, to uh, you know, eliminate the, the, the that possibility? Election fraud and election rigging, you know, continuing.
2: be, you know, hand-counted paper ballots, it could be, you know, counting ballots in public um, uh, in an observable fashion. That's potentially a very awkward process, but you could do it certainly for the federal races. Uh, Countries around the world, uh, you know, advanced democracies have gone away from the computers. They haven't done that just for kicks. They've done that because they're very concerned about the potential for fraud uh, and In computerized counting. It's deliberate interference, deliberate... Um, it, things can happen to ballots. They can be lost. They can be not delivered. They can be not counted. They can be switched. Um, these, these, especially within computers, these things can, can happen. Um, so, you know, we shouldn't be sitting there going, oh, you know,
0: We've been speaking to Jonathan Simon, a California based attorney and analyst of election forensics. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. It is a real treat for me right now to introduce Ryan Christian to the stage. He's the founder and editor. The Last American Vagabond, and he's a committed analyst of news. His work earned him the Serena Shim Award for Uncompromising Integrity in Journalism. He has done amazing work exposing, exploring the COVID-19 situation, surveillance technology, and American foreign policy, among uh, other subjects. But considering the date we are having this interview is January 6th, I thought it would be a good idea to explore what he has revealed about the famous riot on this uh, date uh, taking place on Capitol Hill in Washington. He has definitely found evidence that there was more to it than a bunch of grumpy Trump supporters uh, staging an insurgency because they're wicked. Uh, Rather, this event set the stage for events outside the field of political partisanship to build up not only the fight uh, against supposed domestic terrorism, but in support of prevailing narratives about Russia and much much more Ryan Christian thank you for joining us on the global research news hour we're looking forward to the gems of investigation you're willing to share with our listeners
3: well thank you Michael it's an honor to be here I'm looking forward to it i I definitely think this is a, a, a more I mean it's almost hard to say for people won't I think it's more important than most people realize, put it that way. And which, I mean, it's hard to say that because most people see this as something that's very important, but even then, it, it ties to so many more things than I think we've eat. A lot of people have patched together, like you were touching on there, in regard to the, the you know foreign policy connections, and, and even, honestly, even ties to the Great Reset and COVID-19 and, and a lot of different things. So thank you for having me on today to talk about it. It's important. And on the day, on the anniversary of this gigantic psychological operation. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Happy anniversary. Um, The riot was uh, the riot was an event where people were contesting the vote turnout, uh, alleging voter fraud um, uh, or or, or elections uh, rigging. Uh, There have been accusations in the past that the, uh, the election was turned against Democrats in the past. Now they're turned against Republicans. But we saw people wanting to change to charge forward. The courts were not contesting the elections, but people charged forward. Um, and uh, remind our listeners, if you could, what particular anomalies were there in the media coverage of the riot that that you felt seemed, in certain ways, untruthful or or offside with what, with what with what was known at that time.
3: Yeah, hmm. that's a gigantic. I, from my perspective, just about yeah. literally everything that they did that day, or ongoing from before or since then. But I, I think the the important points to make. Just pick out the, uh, I'm sorry.
0: Just pick out maybe a few, just a few highlights, because we don't want it to dominate the discussion.
3: Oh right, of course, of course, yeah. But I, I would like to say first that I think it's important to note that. You know, anybody engaging in, in even if they're wrong, by the way, it crest questioning the outcomes, the government's decisions, the statements by the media around an election. It's valid and important to be able to do that. And that's something that's being shut down and it goes both ways. Historically speaking, I think are always, I, I view, to make it clear from the beginning, I view all this as the uniparty, as the government manipulating the people. Left, right paradigm stuff, I think is what keeps people from seeing the full picture here. Now on, on the concept of the media and the coverage, I mean, it, from, from top to bottom, and again, I mean this in just about every topic we could point at today, but specifically focusing on January 6th, it, it was framed, like the way I look at it is it seems as if there was a narrative set about the way this was supposed to go and the way it was supposed to be perceived that very quickly did not pan out for any number of reasons we could get into, whether people were armed and they were supposed, you know, being pressured to be armed, they didn't show up with any weapons or whether they were being violent and or not. And they had the narrative that it was supposed to look like. And it was almost as if the media and the government just stuck to the narrative and talking points, even as it quickly fleshed out to not be the way it was being presented as. And so the media was very quick to frame this as racist and misogynistic or whatever else, or just as some kind of a insurgency activity, right? That they were going there to take violent action against politicians. I mean, Pelosi was kind of insinuating and outright saying this from the beginning, especially as it got more intense. And 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 the way that they covered this was so inherently dishonest. And I think we see this in every aspect. And it was just about the way that they either were told to cover it or the way that they were perceiving it, regardless of what was actually happening. Uh, I mean, you could talk about the way that, the engagement of the police that were on the ground and whether they were supposed to be called in and they were turned down and you know all these things were ignored or whether they called it an armed insurrection or violence. again. I mean, you know, there's all these examples that aren't just about the media coverage, but the way it was ongoing since then. Right. But again, it it. I think from top to bottom, it was clearly dishonest all the way to this very point, even from even from a congressional standpoint to call it something that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you'd like me to, I can get into the things that yeah. I do think were also wrong. I mean, like I'm not there were things that were done there, whether allowed to happen or not, that need to be pointed out, you know, the 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 w- crimes that were committed, even if I do think they were minor, that were valid to point out, you know, the violence taken against people in authority in a in a police position or breaking windows, let's say, which is destruction of property. You know, these are things that should be pointed out. So it's not to say that there was no nothing that was done there that should be held accountable for it was represented as something so exponentially more serious than that all the way to this point.
0: Yeah. Well, there was also images, because there were a series of different images, and, I mean, you have you saw them recycling over and over again, the people breaking into a, a window or something like that. And then, on the other hand, they showed people walking down, down the main line as they entered, and they, they were walking. They weren't raiding it like a bunch of hooligans. They, they were staying within the lines of the... the, the, the You know as you enter yeah and and,
3: and And there are this. go ahead i was just going to add to that and that these are people that are that are being still framed on that same kind of you know over the top hyperbolic statement about what they're supposed to be trying to accomplish but you can very clearly tell that by and large a lot of these people were just kind of going along with the flow not even realizing like i always often point out if you were to come up to this after this is all begun and walked in, not realizing that things had already been kind of like I argue right there that they're even though they broke through the barriers after, weirdly, we can talk about Ray Epps and how that seems to influence that, but break through these barriers, and then seemingly people were just allowed to keep coming in. Like, why wasn't there more people put in place to stop that? So people wandered in, essentially, and were taking pictures and, you know, walking, staying between the velvet ropes, and, you know, and, and so at the very least, you could tell a lot of people weren't even aware in and of themselves that there was a problem and something happening that was perceived as violent. So it just it's kind of impossible to frame everybody there as as violent attackers when half of them clearly didn't even realize what they were involved in. You know, it just it screams psychological operation.
0: Yeah. Could you talk about Ray Epps? Because, I mean, he was somebody who was, uh, I guess, appeared to be directing things.
3: Yeah. I mean, I see. I I agree. I mean, even himself, I went over the transcript of the weirdly uh, uh, redacted and controlled release of the engagement of this committee, but that Ray Epps on the record said he did, he used his own word orchestrate, that I helped orchestrate or that I orchestrated this. And then he walks it back later in the conversation. But either way, you can clearly see on video him doing things that his own testimony seems to contradict. That was the first thing that stood out to me, the timing of it, whether or not he was telling people, like he was saying, we're going to go inside the Capitol and people pushed back on that, even called him a Fed. You know, chanting, fed, fed. And all these videos have been seen, weirdly absent from the conversation of the January 6th committee, and also acting like they didn't even know who he was, despite being one of the main people put on the list by the FBI. All these weird omissions and and things that don't make sense. But Ray Epps himself was the most important point, was their chanting, both on the 5th and the 6th, that we're gonna be going inside the Capitol. Anybody knows that's not allowed, especially in the context or specifically in the context of how this was going. Now, obviously, you can go in the Capitol if they're, you know, in a in a normal setting or tours or whatever else. But in this context, it was very clear that if they were to march up there as a mob or even just as a protest and try to march in the Capitol, they know that's not allowed. Right. So they, he, when he says that, he knows that he's saying we're going to do something that's going to put them on the defensive. And then that does. And so, you know, that what he's doing is calling for action that will lead to conflict, whether whether it's violent conflict or political. He knows that. And yet now he gets represented as some kind of patsy that was just there for peaceful protesting, except on the record, repeatedly screaming, we're going to go inside the Capitol and then telling them that they're not going to even says once on the record, I'm not going to, you know, I'm worried about saying this because this will get me in trouble. But we need to go inside the Capitol. So clearly pointing out he knew it was a problem. And and the point was is he, that that guy got quickly kicked out of the conversation until way later when pushed by people like Thomas Massey and others to be talked about, you know, to be brought into the conversation. And it was very quickly pushed to the side. I mean, this this was a, a 9-11 committee style manipulation from the beginning, in my opinion.
0: So that when the committee was investigating, uh, doing the, their recent investigations, uh, was he ever arrested or did they just leave him aside and but go after other Individuals.
3: I don't I see I, I don't believe he was ever technically arrested I believe that he was o- overlooked and intentionally overlooked for a long time until way later in this process that they brought him in but I think they just I, I, I don't know I don't have the full. I want to go ahead and say I don't know but I think that he was invited you know c- via congressional subpoena to come in and, and testify but y- we all know how wildly different that is than even for example some grandmother with a cell phone that actually got arrested and actually got charged for a crime for doing something, for being present, despite the fact that he's the one out there screaming, we're going to go in the Capitol, right? So you can just see a very different way they engage with people when, I mean, let's put it this way, when when dealing with somebody they perceive to be a Trump supporter, they very clearly have dealt differently with them. But weirdly enough, the way that they engage with Epps seems to be from a, perce- a perception of he's being taken advantage of. Now, why is that? Right. It, it, it doesn't make any other sense, any sense compared to how they treat everybody else. That that's just that doesn't prove anything, but it gives you examples of why I think it's pretty clear this person was at, at agent provocateur. That's my opinion. Just my opinion.
0: Yeah. Has the the committee investigated the possibility that these people were uh, actually armed or that some of these people were actually armed? Uh, uh, or Was there, were there any individuals uh, discovered carrying firearms?
3: No, as far as I can tell, and again, i'll be to be clear i haven't gone I haven't fine tooth comb gone through everything that's been on transcripts from the January sixth committee frankly i I find it to be kind of a waste of time. Not that we shouldn't be doing it, but there's just so much else going on. But my point is that is that what we know is that there was nobody armed there. and if it comes out later that one person was like personally carrying a gun, we know how that's going to be taken out of context, like for instance, saying that people were killed despite the only actual person being killed there was Babbitt, who was shot by Capitol Police, right? So they, but yet they all still argue that people were killed there by the protesters. And that's even a stretch to argue that it was because of the protesters. That's the whole conversation we can get into if you want. But I think, I think that what we know is that this was an unarmed protest. And that was done there for a very clear reason, because it was, our, it, was, it was discussed amongst these circles long before this started that they were being set up. Right. So this was known. And so an entire like the whole sentiment, even to this day, is that it was an armed insurrection. There are still politicians saying that, even though it's been very clearly proven that wasn't the case. You know, so my point in saying that in the beginning was, I bet you, you could flesh this out to the point where you'll find out somebody was legally caring. Somebody may be allowed to or more importantly that we know that there were different people that were at the lead positions of some of these militias that turned out to be FBI or a woman that worked for a psychological operations department. I believe it was for the military, the Navy. I forget the exact location, but all this was discussed openly at the time. They're of their own capacity, they claim, but except the FBI ones. The point being is that I, they're probably examples of some kind of firearm with this large event. Point being, it was an unarmed insurrection and that speaks volumes. Okay. Or excuse me, I I, I should so, well, hold on. I have, I have to correct that. I didn't mean to say insurrection. The point is an unarmed protest that they call an insurrection. Important correction. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay. um, well, you you're talking about this whole situation. I mean, including the media seeming to to set up you know the, the, these the, the parade the protesters for uh, uh, you know basically criminalizing them. Uh, that that suggests because there's a history of this sort of thing. That maybe there were agent provocateurs involved. I mean, can you? Are there any that uh, come to mind? Any individuals that you would say, Kate, okay, that that guy smells like a provocateur?
3: Well, Ray Epps is an obvious example. I, I mean, whether he, whether that was what he was being paid to do or not, that's what he was doing. Period. Right? And he was out there going, "We're going in the Capitol. We're gonna do this. Follow me. The Capitol's this way." So orchestrating. That's exactly what he, the word he even used. So I can't prove that he did it on behalf of somebody else, but that's my opinion, and I think it's pretty obvious based on all the things we've already said, the way they engaged with him, the way they didn't go after him, on and on and on. But there's more than that. I mean, you can see examples of all, there's there's examples of Antifa members that have been caught on the record, their own videos, by the way, speaking both before, pretending to be Trump supporters, telling people to go in the Capitol, telling them to do things that were against the law, and then on video, which many people have copies of. Running afterwards saying, we did it, we got him, we tricked them. I don't think they use the word trick, but basically, we got them, we got them to do it. They get what They went inside, and it's all on the record. And then you can prove that the guy, the, I forget, I forget, um, I don't remember if we ever got his name, but the dark, dark-skinned, dark dark-haired guy that was proven to be a member of Antifa on you know, his own social media profiles. So whether, again, that was at the behest of some kind of government in- organization or intelligence, we don't know. But obviously, they were there with in dishonest intentions to either set up the MAGA people or frame them for a government agenda or something. So th- there's an obvious example, verifiably, of an agent provocateur. But you'll never find that video, which is literally everywhere It when, you know, in these conversations in the January 6th committee. Now, why would that be? It's record. It's on the record. It's provable. You know, it, they just don't want to factor that in. They call it conspiracy theory. But there's endless examples of these kind of factors playing in any of these things, including... I would argue, in a reverse sort of way, the allowance of people to go through certain areas and barriers and doors. I, you know, it's not necessarily agent provocateurs, but in a reverse way, they're sort of doing so in the hope that they take some kind of action that they can then frame as being what they want it to be. You know, I mean, we could speak about Pelosi and the Capitol Police and how numerous calls were made to bring in a, 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 um, reinforcements and it was turned down numerous times or even before January 6th speaking on the record saying we need more people like we know what's coming we have this planned and doing nothing about it you know it's it's very obvious that this was at least allowed to happen which is a classic tenet of u.s foreign policy and examples throughout you know pearl harbor for example is one of those examples
0: now i want to talk about uh, you know other aspects of it I mean, it's not just uh, about you know trump versus the uh, the democrats and and some republicans like like uh, vice president pence for example Uh, you're you're also talking about expanding it to the point where we're actually looking forward to uh, what what would transpire in Ukraine. Um, I'm thinking there's there's an individual that was parading around with face paint and and a buffalo hide, I think, Uh, very noticeable, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: and, uh, you dug into his background and and, uh, discovered a lot of interesting things as well on the record. Um, can, can you describe some of the things in, in his background and, and and his his buddy as well, uh, Debinen, I believe his name is uh, that, 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 that causes one to wonder about what they were doing there.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's well, there's a lot of really interesting overlap there. I'm actually I i, I actually forgotten about this this point because I I was I'm looking forward to getting into the the Ukraine overlap here and Project Aerodynamic and all of this and Rise Above Movement. But before that though, with your, I'm glad you said that. I actually forgotten about the ukrainian individual that was there pretending to be russian as one of these individuals i mean it's and it's all this is all stuff that's been fleshed out on the record you can see the social media profiles and this is an individual that was there alongside specifically the guy with the horns and that guy that was this prominent individual but in numerous other examples as well and is, is seen wearing the the azov uh in uh, colors and symbols before this, seen wearing the right sector information, you know, all of the very interesting stuff. And so the point was to make it very concise for people is that we have an individual directly tied to the Azov movement in Ukraine, in this event, acting like a Russian, screaming things in Russian. All this is easily provable. We, I, we went over this in our own January 6th coverage. What, I mean, with, with, without knowing what we're gonna get into next, that wouldn't make much sense. But what's important to understand, unless you wanted to make a further point on that, is how that, in my opinion, or I think provably connects with what has been a long-sought agenda to create this exact situation, but ultimately blame the rise of what they claim is white supremacy and so on, or rather what they claim is the rise of white supremacy and and all these racist ideas because of Russia, despite the fact that I can prove to you this was an, a CIA agenda that's been built, just like the Mujahideen, afghanistan soviet Union play – in Ukraine in order to blame specifically people that they call Republicans, but just anybody in this country that pushes back. So I, I, I'm happy to get into all that overlap there, but that unless you want to go further on that Ukraine guy, because that's such an interesting point that nobody really talks about.
0: Yeah, um, well, I think when you said the Mujahideen, you meant Mujahideen in Afghanistan, right? Because we were you were supporting uh, you know the, the, the same people. We were supporting the Mujahideen, uh, which were doing a lot of uh, nefarious and evil things but now you've got a, a white uh, equivalent, if you will, uh, doing these things.
3: Uh, yeah, but, no, I, I was uh, referencing yeah. the the mujahideen in Afghanistan and Soviet Union overlap, right? That they did the same thing in arming a fascist entity to use them against the Soviet Union, right? Which later became Al-Qaeda, later became ISIS. My point is just showing that they have a play, the playbook. Right, where they where they will happily engage with the people that they later call terrorists in order to use it against somebody that they perceive as an enemy. Right, that's the mujahideen in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union is the same game they're playing right now with the fascist, you know, neo Nazis and Nazis in Ukraine to use against Russia, and it's the same game. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah. I'm um, just talk briefly, like maybe just a couple of minutes, if you could, about the the the, the Ukrainians in this situation, because they they were they met in the past, or yeah, it was in the past in in Donetsk, I think there was a, a picture of the two of them together. So, well, okay, how is it that we're com- that that this group of Amer- angry Americans has these individuals from Ukraine speaking Russian to american
3: citizens (laughs) well i i don't know exactly how this individual came to be there like as as the opera you know it happened and and what's important to understand is to flesh out the background of why that makes sense or why it's important and i I mean i could make this quick but there's a whole bunch to unpack around this and the point that is what you can prove today first of all is that there's project aerodynamic in 1948 to today is a CIA operation to build fascism in Ukraine to use against Russia, or first was Soviet Union, but now against Russia. And it's it's ongoing. I mean this is on the record CIA documentation where they, they picked up a guy named Mikhail Lebed, who was a Nazi war criminal, who was actually put sentenced to death in Poland and then was saved by the US government and is and, and was used both in New York and in Ukraine to head up a company called Prolog. And this was a this was a media company. And this is a Nazi war criminal. They knew that. And so this guy was the basis for what grew to this day. Now, it was it became less. I, the point is, it, it went on going. Who knows to the level they were still using this up until around 2014 when we saw the Maidan Square uh, regime change, which, by the way, is also on the record, knowing that they knew who actually shot people, which was the U.S.-backed entities, and they framed the other side, sort of like Syria. Now, the point is that that created a new government, and since, from that point forward, the agenda really kicked off, and there was articles written about this. And that from, that's when this truly began, what we're seeing today, in the context of the you know invasion of February 25th. Now, a lot happened before that, but that was like the real reinitiation of this agenda, as far as I can tell. Now, that began in the concept of trying to create and grow that fascist entity— neo-Nazis and Nazis in Ukraine to be able to blame it on Russia and the influence of that around the world. Because we all saw every corporate media outlet pre-February 25th was writing about the neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine. Suddenly it just vanished when it became something, and it's very transparent. The important part to see here is that they were building this for the game, game of blaming it actually on Americans, as far as I can tell. And to make that point clear, the Rise Above movement, which is the movement in the United States that was in Charlottesville that kind of was the beginning point for this white supremacy conversation around the Trump movement and MAGA, right? They were the ones with the tiki torches marching down the street in Charlottesville. The, the you know, uh, what was it? They will not replace us or whatever they were saying. Now, people don't know that that is verifiably, even according to Newsweek, the U.S. arm, the faction of the Azov movement in the United States, so it's why that's not discussed is obvious because that's not supposed to be traced back to the CIA because once the CIA documentation and this conversation got really fleshed out that kind of fell apart but the whole point is we have a rising white supremacy threat in this country and if you tr- if you trace the lines they were making that was supposed to be laid at the feet of Russia and their efforts to do this and rise you know create the white supremacy threat but if we know that the CIA was raising and growing this Azov movement group along with right sector and Svoboda and all the other Nazi elements in this country. And then we know that that arm of that agenda was what created the conversation in the United States with the Rise Above movement, as well as other groups, Casa Pound in Germany. uh, They're all over the world. We know that the CIA is the group that is responsible for this, at least in part, and yet that doesn't get discussed. And now this has been spinning out of control, and all they want to try to do is frame this as some kind of rising white supremacy, Nazi fascist mentality while the U.S. government is openly arming the most obvious Nazi elements in the world right now in Ukraine and working directly with the most openly fascist government, I would argue, which is Israel's government. And it's very interesting that the point, you, know, you tell me where you want to go from there. But the point is to realize that I think this has been carefully crafted to blame anybody freely thinking in this country. And I don't just think Republicans. I mean, they call me a Republican. I, I scream two party illusion. But anybody pushing back. And that kind of fell apart with the Ukraine agenda, but it's still going forward. So it's very interesting and very concerning. I, I call it the MAGA trap or the vanilla ISIS sign-up.
0: Yeah, like one, one probably be a, a last point, uh, but uh, the uh, the idea also is that uh, you're building up resistance to what they call domestic terrorism. So it's not terrorists, just you know, Islamic terrorists or those people outside the country. There is a domestic terrorist entity building within the country. And, and yes. there are all sorts of references uh, you know, among the people who, like, even before January 6th, people were making, were making note of this. And then, boom, along, Kong, along come the, the Russians. All of a sudden, they, they have free—it's kind of like where what in 9-11 happened. They just pulled up the Patriot Act, which was written before 9-11, and right. uh, put it out there. To, to, to vote on so I mean, if you could just briefly talk about the, uh, the, the, the that mode of using this on uh, on americans to divide them and, yes. and and create a terrorist threat which is going to build up uh, a lot of uh, monetary uh, uh control and and other controls to uh to stop it
3: yeah it, it's a great place to 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 wrap to you know bring this to the domestic terrorism angle we have to remember the biden Wrote as an executive order, overlapping just basic misinformation with the concept of domestic terrorism. Right, so we already see this effort to argue that if you challenge the vaccine agenda, that you're suddenly not just dangerous, which is not even the you know words are not violence, but that but over the top of that, that you are a domestic terrorist, that you're actually killing people. We saw people like Hotez make this argument around the vaccine. The same point is happening around all of this. That they they're this is all meant to kind of converge in my mind around the idea that you are. There's the domestic terrorist threat, but that's the white supremacy threat, and that comes from the outside. That's their clumsy narrative. That's where vanilla ISIS got thrown out, that somehow these white supremacists are so – I mean, I don't even know how they try to piece together that you're a white supremacist, yet you work with foreign entities that are not white. But that's what they're doing, Iran and so on. But that's where the Russia angle came in, and we have to remember the groups like the base, which, by the way, is the literal translation for the term al-Qaeda. It translates to the base – in the United States or in, in English is a group that was, it is based out of Russia that only went there about 2018, but it was founded by a guy that worked for the DHS, for the U.S. government, a top secret clearance and used to work on counterterrorism and just one day woke up and said, I'm now a white supremacist. I'm going to go live in Russia and start a group. I, and these things, I think, aren't supposed to be so clear. My point is, I think it's obvious this was built to create that exact thing that you're pointing at, the domestic terrorism threat, that stems from the bad guy so it all it swings in all the foreign policy despite this being built by the CIA and other groups and that that overlaps with the overarching point of where this is all going whether it's the biosecurity state direction or anything I mean there's all this, it comes it comes down to what you think is most important but as Whitney Webb has coined in the past that you know today under the security state right the idea was about fighting the idea of the boogeyman overseas and and then ultimately realizing that it was turned in against us. But today, the biosecurity state, your body is the new battlefield, right? So we now see how it's been inverted, even though it's always kind of been that way, directly pointed at us, even calling you know the domestic terrorism threat is the biggest rising threat. So I think this has been planned, and I think we're watching executed moves that bring this together in a larger way that, if you want me to touch on it, that I think do connect with the COVID-19 agenda and the Great Reset and where that all goes. But regardless, the most important point today from January 6th is this was a setup. This was a psychological operation, in my opinion, meant to execute this larger thing we just discussed. Right. That was the point where they were going to say, see, we told you they're violent. They tried to overthrow the government and it all ties back to Russia. That's what I think this really was. And you can prove it ties back to the CIA. It's alarming. Well,
0: well Ryan, it's uh, it's great to have you on the show. And I, I think maybe we can pick up on this at a, at a later date. But uh, we're going to close for now. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And as always, uh, we'll Allow our our listeners to think for themselves thoroughly. Thank you for being our guest.
3: Hey, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Looking forward to next time.
0: We've been speaking to Ryan Christian of The Last American Vagabond, uh, speaking to us, uh, uh, and uh, you can visit and support his regular research and journalism at the site, (laughs) thelastamericanvagabond.com. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Creek, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Metis Nation and the heart of the Metis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca.